Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. Why, hello, and welcome to episode 230 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the third episode of March 2018, and our Dai Kaiju discussion for the brand new Giant Robots vs. Giant Monsters vs. Giant Robots movie from Legendary Pictures. It's Pacific Rim Uprising. A movie that was, at the uh, moment of this episode's recording, released just about a week ago. We've got some actual initial thoughts, recorded immediately after we left the theater. We also have, of course, our standard discussion that was recorded here in the KaijuCast HQ, and the listener discussion, the homework that was sent in reviewing Pacific Rim Uprising. And it wouldn't be a KaijuCast episode if we didn't play some awesome audio stuff. This is actually audio from a Nerdist video called Pacific Rim Uprising 1975 because it has such a heavy nod to 1970s tokusatsu. They've evolved. And they could wipe out all life. あなたの英雄が。まあ、ヒーローだ、まあ、ファーボス。立ち上がらなければならない。デスディーニューチャンスとメイクティングスライト。Let's do this. セキのスパーク電気無知。ジプシーアベンジャー、激しい勝利のプラズマキャスター。連携したパンパシフィック防衛軍団。My generation, we were born into war. Giant monsters attacked our world. We call them Kaiju. What Pacific Rim does is it gives an answer to those monsters. So we built some monsters to fight back. We have the Eggers. Since the first movie, humanity's had 10 years to redesign the Jaegers and prepare for another attack. The advances that we have between the first film and the second film, we need upgrades. That's what I'm talking about! They're bigger than life. The special abilities that some of these Jaegers have are pretty damn cool. I really wanted to preserve the spirit of the first movie, that you have humanity coming together to fight a common enemy. 
matter how big they are, we can come together and we can win. Jaeger pilots, do you understand? One way to find out. I think it's very cool having a common enemy and people from all around the world having to work together for the survival of the planet. It's our turn to save the world. Three, two, one. I think what really captures the imagination of people when they see mechs and monsters, it hits a primal sweet spot. Put it down! We've got this! Try everything you've got! Once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussion. Every month, the Kaiju Cast takes a look at one particular film from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. This month, we are talking about Pacific Rim Uprising, the latest, but not for long, entry in the giant monster age that we live in here. 2018, a.k.a. the Year of Giant Monsters, it would seem. Pacific Rim Uprising was released by Legendary Pictures on March 23rd. It was directed and co-written by Stephen S. DeKnight. At this point, DeKnight is most well-known for his work on Netflix's Daredevil and Spartacus. To tackle Pacific Rim Uprising, he worked with a team of co-writers, most of whom I did not recognize at all, but that doesn't bother me because I don't actually pay too much attention to screenwriters. He co-wrote it with Emily Carmichael, Kira Snyder, and T.S. Nolan. The visual effects were by Double Negative, and the overall supervisor of the visual effects was Paul Chiang, who was the visual effects supervisor for Legendary's Godzilla. Now, when we say visual effects, we're clearly talking about CGI. All of these monsters, all of these robots in Pacific Rim Uprising are CGI. Uh, we did get some familiar faces in this particular movie, Specifically from the first Pacific Rim, we have Mako Mori, played by Rinko Kikuchi, Newt Geisler, played by Charlie Day. Sorry, I'm laughing. Newt Geisler was just auto-corrected to New Geisler. <laughs> and then back again, along with Newt Geisler, is Herman Gottlieb, played by Bern Gorman. You may recognize the actors I'm about to mention, specifically the first one. Jake Pentecost is played by John Boyega. John Boyega has seen some sci-fi action in some movies as of late. It all started, as far as I'm concerned, with Attack the Block, which is a fantastic alien invasion movie set in England. He's also, of course, in the two most recent Star Wars episodes, Episode 7 and Episode 8. And apparently he is not stopping there. Also in the uh, cockpit, along with John Boyega, was Scott Eastwood, the son of Clint Eastwood, playing Nate Lambert. It was funny, like, the whole time I'm watching that movie... I had no idea who he was, and then it was after we left, Lady Kyle told me that that was Clint Eastwood's son, and I was like, yes, it all becomes so clear now. Additionally, I cannot not mention the actress who played Amara Namani, who was, I thought, fantastic. That would be Kaylee Spaney. All three of those actors, as well as the rest of the cast, I thought did a really great job. And because I think that they really did make a difference to the story, especially to the aspects that DeKnight wanted to include in the story, I'm going to tell you who played the cadets. Cadet Victoria, a.k.a. Vic, was played by Ivana Sakno. 
Cadet Ryuchi was played by Makinyu, which is the son of Sonny Chiba. Uh, he also played Eiji Tomari in Kamen Rider Drive's Surprise Future. So there's another tokusatsu connection for you. Cadet Ilya was played by Levi Maiden. Cadet Renata was played by Shirley Rodriguez. Cadet Tahima, Rayhart Adams. Cadet Jinhai was Wesley Wong. Cadet Meilin was Lily G. Cadet Suresh was Karan Brar. The last two actresses I want to mention were Jing Tian, who played Li Wen Xiao, right? So the Xiao Industries lady. And Adria Arjona, who played Jules Reyes. She was a mechanic, if you don't remember. And because I'm in an oversharing mood, hey, why not talk about the Jaegers? Because, you know, this movie didn't really focus on them like it focused on them in the first movie. So because they didn't get their proper fanfare, let's talk about the Jaegers. First, we have Gypsy Avenger, a.k.a. Gypsy Danger from the first film, but upgraded as explained in the Shatterdome introduction. November Ajax, he was the blue cop from the beginning of the film, basically. Scrapper, which of course is Amara's chibi DIY Jaeger. Titan Redeemer, who was disabled in the Shatterdome battle, and part of that guy appears on Bracer Phoenix later in the film. Saber Athena is the sleek, bright orange one with the swords. Anybody else get an Aphrodite A, Mazinger Z vibe from that robot? Of course, minus the boob rockets. For the last battle, Saber Athena was piloted by Renata and Ryochi. Bracer Phoenix was the gray one with the chainsaw mace, the Morning Star, which was piloted by Amara, Vic, and Jinhai. And Guardian Bravo was the red and white one with the arc whip that, in my opinion, really, really looked like a Transformer. Well, that was piloted by Ilya, who gets injured, and Suresh, who is killed. And by the way, I had to do a little bit of investigative work to see who piloted all those Jaegers, because when you see them in the film, it doesn't actually do like a roll call, and they don't get a super introduction. Oh, you know what? I forgot about the bad guy. The one all the newspapers are calling Obsidian Fury, you guys. Obviously, that was the kaiju brain. And hey, the Jaegers aren't where it's all at even though the sheer number of names that I just listed there would make it seem like there are going to be just a ton of kaiju in this movie, you really only get three plus a fourth. Then you kind of get a fifth one in flashback and then a sixth one in like the Conpod simulation, if you want to count that, but I don't count that. In fact, I don't even really count the one in flashback that you saw in Amara's Memories. What I'm talking about are Raijin, Hakuja, and Strikethorn, which are the three kaiju that appear and converge on Tokyo. And of course, they turn later on into what Newt has on his tablet named Mega Kaiju. Now, when I saw this, everything was brand new to me because I pretty much didn't watch any trailers, anything at all. Uh, And so for me, I had super fresh eyes going into Pacific Rim Uprising which apparently is a good thing because I've heard really horrible things about the way they were marketing this film. Most people think that this movie looks kind of terrible, and so I would understand if it did poorly at the box office. However, despite the potential negative buzz about Pacific Rim Uprising, thanks to their marketing campaign, the theater that we saw it in was pretty packed and had a pretty good crowd, in my opinion. Let's hear what we thought coming right out of the theater. Literally, we just walked out of the screening from Pacific Rim. I have Gretchen here. Hi. Martin. Hey, hey. And, uh, of course, me. And uh, Dave 
You'll hear his voice, I'm assuming, a little bit later on this episode, but I just wanted to get some real quick initial reactions from my co-hosts. So, Martin, I mean, feel free to even shadow your initial reaction with your thoughts of this versus Pacific Rim, you know, the first one, too. So what would uh-huh. you think of Pacific Rim Uprising? I thought this was a lot of fun, and to be honest, I I feel like I did out of the first one. I just had a really good time. I thought it was just a lot of fun, and, and it was very enjoyable. Right on. Gretchen, initial thoughts? It was awesome. <laughs> it was so much better than the first one. Interesting. All right. So, like, I would actually say that I, w- it wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's so much better than the first one, but the thing that really stood out to me is what I liked better than the first one was the dialogue. I think everybody knows that, like, in that very first movie, I felt like there were some groaner lines, and I didn't feel that once, really, in this movie. I was pretty impressed. Uh, overall, would you guys say that you would go see this again absolutely. like while it's in the theater? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right, right on. Well, uh, I think what we're going to do is we'll actually break up here and we'll go our separate ways and we'll come back for the actual recording. <laughs> but the listeners won't know the difference. That's right. Click. <laughs> exactly. Immediately after opening weekend, Pacific Rim Uprising was being touted as dethroning Black Panther from the box office top ranking. Now, that doesn't mean that it made more money than Black Panther. Black Panther made a lot of money. What Pacific Rim Uprising did was take a movie that was in its sixth week at number one and basically bump it down by earning a little bit more in the gross. Its first weekend... Pacific Rim Uprising grossed about $36 million. The budget for Pacific Rim is about $150 million. If you're wondering what the difference is between the first Pacific Rim and Uprising, the budget for the first movie was about $180 million, and its uh, first week of opening from July 12th to the 18th had a gross of about $52 million. So Pacific Rim Uprising actually not doing as well as the original Pacific Rim. Now, one aspect of Pacific Rim Uprising that I have yet to really mention is the soundtrack. The soundtrack was composed by Lauren Balfe, who has done quite a lot of work in television. In terms of movie composing, he was the composer for Megamind, if you've ever seen that, but also Ghost in the Shell, the 2017 movie with Scarlett Johansson. Balfe was actually the second composer that was tagged for this film at first John Paseno, the Daredevil composer, was going to make a score, and apparently he may have done that. So somewhere out there, maybe on somebody's hard drive, is a rogue soundtrack for Pacific Rim Uprising. Now, what we did get from Pacific Rim Uprising, of course, was very serviceable from Lauren Balfe, and there were some really great tracks on it. And so we're going to take a little bit of time, just listen to one track before moving into our discussion.
do that. Let's talk about that. So, uh, joining me here in studio, we have Mr. Dave Helfrey. Hi. Gretchen Brooks. Hey. And Martin Vavra. Hey. And we have all seen Pacific Rim. It's true. At yes. least one time. Uprising. Uprising, yes. Uprising. We've yeah. also seen Pacific Rim. We have. True. But Pacific Uprising is indeed what we are here to talk about today. I'm excited. Uh, now, I think Dave is the most recent viewer of this movie you just yeah, said you and your i saw it a hot went. minute ago yeah, yeah literally kind of came over here from I the drove movie like right? a bat out of hell to get here time to meet with you guys and, and record this <laughs> Let's, let me get the freshest of thoughts from the uh, from your initial lizard brain just like just overarching thought yeah yeah just loved it loved it loved it right just right of, it's like i know that i'm like the naysayer a lot of times on these podcasts and just like <laughs> whatever i have i have two gripes we'll get to those later yes but uh but uh in general I uh, thought it was a rock-solid sequel. Really happy with it. Cool, cool. Gretchen, what about you? Oh, uh, initial thoughts after, I mean, because we already covered it outside the theater just a smidge, but now that you've had a couple of days to sit and mellow on this, well, what what are you thinking about? Let's see. I mean, I had some time to simmer on it, and initially I was like, holy camoly, like blown away. I'm still that way. I still feel that way. It cool. was, I still like it better than the first one. All right, all right. Good initial thoughts, Mr. Martin. I really loved it, too. Um I think it's equal to the first one, which I thoroughly loved the first one. Totally enjoyed it and totally enjoyed this one. So it was great. Cool. Uh, again, I have, uh, I saw it with Gretchen and Martin and Lady Kyle on Tuesday. And then Thursday night, Tiger and I went to go check it out at a like 1030 PM screening where we also encountered a very sparse theater. Mm. Uh, but our screening on Tuesday was packed. Absolutely. And uh, so now that I've seen it twice, I can say without a doubt, I absolutely do love this film. It's just as enjoyable as the first one and has its own foibles, its own issues, which, it, like Dave said, we're going to get to. Uh, but in some ways, I do like it better than the first one. But, you know, there's it's almost like I said to Gretchen when we were out getting tea. It's like someone said, oh, I have a. Uh, I'll change the flavors here. <laughs> it's like the difference between German chocolate and dark chocolate. You know, it's like they're both chocolate. They're both basically, you know, essentially the same flavors, but they're like different versions of it. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely like adored this movie. And especially after seeing it a second time, I really, really am glad we're here to talk about it. Yeah, it's good stuff. So let's go ahead and talk about some of the stuff we liked. Uh, Gretchen, I am going to start with you. What did you like best about Pacific Rim Uprising? Daylight kaiju fighting. <laughs> it was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful and un like out in the open and no like no water, no rain, nothing to abstract from it. It was gorgeous. True, true. I was very happy that we got daylight fights and uh, specifically that we were fighting in, in Tokyo. Yeah. That was like... I mean, I don't want to say it was missing from the first movie. I don't think I thought that after we saw the first film. But when they started fighting in Tokyo, I was absolutely like, yes, yes, they're doing it. They're doing it. Uh, and then what about you, Martin? Oh, there's so many things I really liked about this movie, to be honest. Like, I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I want to have an observation first. Okay. They did something like they did with Alien and then Aliens and Predator and Predators. This one, not that this one had Pacific Rims, 
or sure, anything, sure. but it was the, the multiple rifts that are opening up. And I kind of thought that was an interesting thing. It was like, we start out with one alien. Now we got a bunch of aliens. This oh, one nice. is like, we yeah, have yeah. the one rim that's opening up and now we've got these other rifts. We've now we've got these multiple rifts. So, um, I thought that was just kind of interesting how they did that. And it really upped the stakes. Um, I got to be honest, I really enjoyed the setup for the third film at the end, too. I'm actually yeah, kind of sure. really excited yeah. about that, yeah. to and be honest. By the way, I, I, don't don't worry. We're spoiler inclusive here. So yeah. Don't worry about spoiling anything. Okay. They, already will, they will have heard the spoiler announcement by now. Yeah, okay. great. So that was I, I did. I really enjoyed that setup. Um, yeah, the, the daylight fights were really great. Um I don't know. I'm probably going to get the Mary Sue <laughs> argument out of this one. I really liked that they had this little gal that was really good at what she was doing in this kind of pseudo recovering apocalyptic world thing who was like making her own uh mini Jaeger and and was just kind of really good at it. Like I I kind of enjoy that trend. I'm cool with it and I really thought she was kind of awesome. Kaylee Spaney mm-hmm. is her name, the actress, and yeah. I thought she did a fantastic job as Amara. Yeah. Like her character was great. I thought it was a really strong character. And then of course there's all sorts of things we could talk about in, in terms of like strong female characters in this, you know, in addition to lots of inclusivity. I mean, that was actually one of the themes that Steven, the director, Steven Esta Knight talks about in like interviews about Pacific Rim uprising. So super cool to see so much of that in this movie. Yeah, for sure. Dave, I saved you for last of the co-hosts here for two, for, well, for one reason, really. And that's because I want to hear your favorite parts. Okay. And then I definitely, if you don't mind sharing what your son thought of the movie too. Oh, sure, sure. If that's cool. Like that would be, I think that would be a really great way to include a younger viewer's thoughts. Right. As best you can remember, you know, obviously. No, absolutely. Um, uh, and it's funny because it's like, you're talking about Amara and like how, how much you guys like Amara. That's actually one of my gripes, which we'll get to later. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I am, I am disagreeing with you guys there. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, the thing that blew me away is it's like, you know, my, it's like I consume way more than giant monster movies, horror movies mm-hmm. all the time. All right. And that's why I hate sequels. Okay. Because oh, right. horror movie okay. sequels, are Gretchen, you bear me out of this. I feel horror you. Mo- horror movie sequels are garbage. They're like, hey, we made a horror movie, we made a lot of money. Great, let's make a <laughs> sequel. What should we do? I know what we should do. Let's get different city, different characters, but the exact same movie. Yeah, let's do it. We and then the new, then the sequel comes out, and it's just hot. It's hot garbage. You're like, it's like what? Come on, guys. You had an opportunity to do something creative, and you and you failed. And in in the horror genre, especially, that happens over and over and mm-hmm. over again. And, um, I thought it was interesting, uh, uh, Martin mentioning alien and aliens, because that I think was sort of a turning point in genre sequels where it's like, okay, alien is a horror movie. Yes. Yes. And aliens is an action movie. Absolutely. And, and just did a, but you know, kept the story, totally twisted it and made it its own thing. All right. The thing that I like about Pacific Rim Uprising is I thought, I thought as a sequel, I thought it was rock solid. I thought it was really smart. Mm -hmm. And they totally red herringed me like four times (laughs) going going to this movie because I was like, because I'm like watching it and I'm like, okay, here's the, you know, 
the hot, evil, villainous industrialist who's going blah, 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 blah. And it turns out she's not the villain. She's one of the goodies. I'm like, oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, okay, here's the square-jawed Aryan douchebag that's going to be given uh, John Boyega <laughs> trouble through the whole movie. Oh, it turns out they respected each other all the time. Yeah. And he's like, they're great friends. It's like, oh, so it's like, it's like time after time, they led me down the, you thought we were going to do this in a sequel thing. Yeah. The the Charlie Day is the villain thing never saw that coming. No, awesome. not never at all. Never saw that coming. And then when he gets back to his apartment and <laughs> is like talking to Alice, Alice and then you go and then the reveal, Ick. I I just I just like holy I just I was like <laughs> whoa. And then it's like and then I'm like okay, I think I see where this is going now. And then when basically um uh what was the uh the the evil uh Jaeger's name was it Obsidian Obs- Fury yeah, yeah. yeah. Obsidian, Obsidian Fury, Fury. Yeah. okay I when because also watching the trailer watching the commercials mm-hmm. I'm like you're you're showing Obsidian Fury and Gypsy Avenger fighting it out and everything like that right and and I'm like crap they're just the first movie they just did robots versus monsters and now they're gonna mix it up with robots versus robots it's like I don't want to watch this sure yeah and so that that's why I had a similar reaction yeah, yeah and that's one of the reasons why it's like I I knew I was gonna go I knew I was gonna take my kid because he loves specific rim so much mm-hmm. I knew I was gonna take my kid to the movie and that's one of the reasons why I blew off the premiere with you guys because I I looked at this movie it's like there's no way I'm gonna want to see this twice right. <laughs> there's no way it's like it's like I want to I want to see it it's a giant robot versus a giant monster movie of course I'm gonna see it but twice in a week, no way. I don't have the attention span for that. Totally wrong. <laughs> to- I'd watch it again right now. Right. I'd, w- I'd totally watch it again right now. <laughs> That's what we said coming out of it. Yeah. yeah absolutely. No, it's like, We'd it's, have gone back in. <laughs> no, for sure. There's, there's, it, it totally, it, so I love the fact that it, it, it ran circles around my expectations mm. pretty much from the beginning to the end. Awesome. You know, and I totally agree with Martin. It's like at the, at the very end when they come back and, and Newt is in the chair, and he's like, ah, "I'm crazy." And John Boyega's <laughs> like, "Hell, we're gonna go to your crazy land, and we're gonna kick your crazy butt." And it's like, fantastic. That's it's like I don't even care now. It's like I know what the third one's gonna be, and I'm already I'm ready to buy my ticket. Yeah, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. absolutely ready to buy my ticket. Can, can I ask about Alice since you brought that up? Is something you liked? Did anyone hear? I I was surprised by that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because he's oh, wandering yeah. around and he's talking out loud, and yeah. I'm like. Oh God, the industrialist Chinese woman, they came in and killed his wife as some kind of a thing and yeah. she's going to be dead and he's going to do, and I still don't know why they're right. doing this. Right. Like that, I was, okay, so I wasn't the only one. I thought that was what was going to be is like, oh, no, yeah. she's going to be dead, dead and I'm spouse. still trying to I figure it was, out I thought, why. It, I thought it was, gonna, I thought it was going to be cheesier than that. I thought that when they, when he goes up the stairs and you see the bedroom is all like messed up and everything, I thought he was going to walk in and his wife was going to be having an affair with somebody. Oh, you know, oh they kind of set it up to look I, like that because it know, was like did, candles yeah, lit. Like, like, yeah, because the bed was already tossed and everything yeah. like that. I, that's what I'm like. And I'm like, oh, wacky hijinks with the comic uh, relief character. <laughs> it's like, oh, the comic relief character is crazy. <laughs> and no, it's like but when you yeah. think about it, go, go back to Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was Ron Perlman's character's name? Chow. Um, Chow. Chow. Yeah. yeah. Right. Hannibal Chow or something? Hannibal Chow. Hannibal Chow. Chow. That's yeah. Chow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it was like some, like, yeah, something like that. Um. When Chow is talking to him in Pacific Rim, mm-hmm. and he's like, you can't drift with kaiju brain because it's going to make you crazy, and blah, blah, blah. And then just 
conveniently they're able to in the movie they're able to drift with the kaiju brain and there's a happy ending it's like no <laughs> it's like the seeds are planted i yeah. love that it's like i did not i didn't see that coming at all i, yeah. I didn't see it coming I at all did i did not see not that coming at all, at all. and yeah. i'm like that is that's 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 what i like about um that's the other thing that i like about this as a sequel mm-hmm. um and, and it is a sequel. I would really, I really think it's important for somebody to see Pacific Rim before they see Pacific Rim Ups- Uprising. Oh, I would absolutely yeah. agree. But it just it would give, absolutely, it just like so much more. It sets so much up. You know, I mean, so much more. They do the little tiny, teeny, tiny prologue in the beginning of this yeah. film yeah. of Uprising. And I was sitting there watching it going, well, that's clearly there for the people who saw Pacific Rim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. But, you know, so anyway, so they foreshadow this and then it turns out that, oh, yeah, it was right. Chow was right all along. This does make you crazy. And now there's there's precursors in Newt's head. Right. And mm. that is a bad thing. And thus also in that uh, that industry. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so so that's, uh, you know, so so that's a bad thing. But kind of going back to the horror movie sequels. um. There's a, there's a, and Gretchen, I know that you've seen this, but, um, there's a, there's a, uh, there's these Spanish horror movies called Wreck. Ah, yes. So yeah. good. Right. And they're so good. We, we've okay. seen them. I think everybody you, here everybody has seen, everybody here seen Wreck. I, I've seen all three. You've seen all three. There's I've four. only seen there's the first one. Oh, is there a fourth one? Yeah. I didn't know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you're fine. You're fine. You, you can stop it too. Yeah. Honestly, you, you, you can stop it too. Oh. But the thing about Wreck and Wreck 2 is, it there it, Rec Two isn't a sequel; it's a continuation of the story. Yeah. Right, and that's what I love about Pacific Rim Uprising. It really is a continuation of the story, you know. Even uh, and I and um, yeah, I, I love it. And can we just and and just for one second, sure, can we take a moment and give a hand to John Boyega? Right. I mean, I, I like John so Boyega. Yeah, that guy. Yes, <laughs> two Star Wars movies, Attack the Block, and now Pacific Rim Uprising. And Detroit. He's probably, oh my God. He was in Detroit with Catherine Bigelow. He is, he has not, he hasn't stopped yet. This guy, this guy, I mean, it's like, I'm glad that he's so young Mm because this guy's going to be making movies forever. Well, I I think that, that intro sequence that they film, uh, is actually his weekend. And they just filmed it and yeah. inserted it into the film because it was the only way they could get him. Uh, can that's we also hilarious. give a hand to him for uh, being an acting producer in the film? Because what? I'm, really? I'm pretty yeah. sure. Oh, I didn't know that. that if, it, if it weren't for John Boyega being interested in this film, I'm pretty sure it would have had a wow. much harder time getting okay, off the ground. If that is true, I have an even more. I mean, this guy, this guy's going to have a long, successful career. And I'm like, he's going to be making movies 30 years from now. And I don't mean like, Val Kilmer made for sci-fi director. Right. No, yeah. no. I mean, yeah. this guy, I'm smelling a little Sidney Poitier off this guy. I'm, I'm thinking he, yeah, he's going to be around for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, I absolutely love Attack the Block. Yeah. I don't remember I who, Attack the Block. The, so Attack the Block is fantastic. I don't yeah. know oh, yeah. who suggested that to me, but whoever you are out there in the universe, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And if you have not seen Attack the Block, I highly suggest you get out there and check it out. It is awesome and yeah. hilarious and has... Uh, practical alien monsters. Mm-hmm. Aliens, man. <laughs> anyway. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. All right, so, so yeah. let me hear a little bit about what your kid liked the most about. I mean, not specifically if you want yeah. to talk about that one scene, yeah. but whatever. No, yeah, like, no, what he, was his he, like I say, he, uh, Pacific Rim is like the first, I mean, he's, he's definitely whatever they're uh, Generation Z or whatever it is. It's like, he's not into the 60s 
kaiju movies. It's sure. Like they're just, they're too rubbery suity for him. He's not, you know. And I mean, it, it cracked me up though, because we're watching. On He'll the come other, around. On the, well, on the, on, the, on the subject, here he is, he's 10 years old. Yeah. And on the subject of like giant monster movies, there was a, a trailer for Rampage. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, before uh, Pacific Rim Uprising started. And uh, we're watching this. And at one point during the trailer, he goes, that green screen was awful. <laughs> and I'm like, nice. Okay, so he's oh, like, no. so he like, so he's, he's, Kids he's, today. yeah, for, Rude. for sure. <laughs> but like Pacific Rim is one of the first movies in sort of like my oeuvre that he, that I introduced him to. Oh, okay. And yeah, so we, yeah. like, we've probably watched together like four times, you know, now he, he loves it. And, um, uh, so I promised him, it's like, it's the beginning of spring break. It's like a promise. It was like, we're going to go opening weekend. We're going to go to, we're going to go see it. He's like, awesome. And, uh, so we go to the, we go to the theater and it's got the big reclining chairs and everything. And he immediately like just slides his chair out and like basically turns it into a bed. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, he's bored already. He's just like, he's like, he's, he's not reacting. He's just, he's just, he's not. He's he he's got the the 3D glasses on. He might even be asleep for all night. <laughs> and you it, thought it was it, a fail. It turned. It I totally thought it was a fail, and I'm just like, oh, this kid. I just can't. I just can't. I was completely wrong. He just he just laid in. He just he just merged into the seat and just let the movie wash over him for two hours. He, and he became one with every, the movie. Oh, no, he <laughs> yeah, loved it. And it's like so. It is hilarious to me because I asked him. It's like, what's your what's your favorite scene? And um. You know, he, I, I was expecting like, oh, when it turns out, you know, when, when he pops up the city and Fury's head off and there's that, you know, squid brain in it or, uh, you know, all the little creatures that, uh, the, the, the little like giant nanites that come out of show industry and, and merge the three kaiju together. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? And, um, it's the scene where Newt and Gottlieb are in the elevator with the show industry security guards and they beat up the security guards. <laughs> and that was his favorite scene in the movie. And I'm like, that's okay. your favorite scene. It's like, that's, it's like all right, okay. Uh, it was kind of kind of funny. That's interesting. And, and it, all right, okay. You know, Gottlieb's not a rubber suit. It's, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it's like so. I know, but he, but he, he loved it. And uh, and uh, it was it was it's a good time. Fantastic. All ages movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely there? an all ages movie. I mean, yeah. I think that sort of can be said about the. the and he first giggled whenever well. they said boobs. <laughs> I like that too. Uh, I really loved Pacific Rim Uprising, and one of the things that you know I thought about a lot of the different aspects of this movie that I that I liked, and uh, I have to say that my you guys know the biggest issues I had with the first Pacific Rim was like the script and the the dialogue. Like basically, there were so many groaner lines. And I know that this movie did not have the best of scripts. I mean, we're talking about a giant monster versus giant robot <laughs> yeah. slugfest yeah. on purpose. So yeah. I'm not expecting Mm-mm. the King's speech or anything, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. I'm expecting entertainment. And I got to say, I was absolutely entertained. Uh, but one of the things I like best about it is just Stephen Estenite took what I thought was going to be a garbage property essentially right, i think because sure. of what you were talking about sequels i absolutely totally. was expecting this and i wasn't I excited gonna, about i thought it. they were going to phone it in yeah i was mm-hmm. not excited yeah. about this movie until i saw something uh where he started talking about his his vibe that he was trying to put in this movie and that's when i was like wow i think i like where this guy's coming from and he wants it to represent everybody 
and he wants it to be a happy a happy movie, you know, to have a positive message. And he says specifically in some of those interviews, like during times like these, you know, where there's just so much bad happening Ugh. in the world. And we don't need to get into that, but right. we could talk about Pacific Rim Uprising and how it was a battle where everybody got together and everybody fought together and we did. There was win. a lot of, there was a lot of, uh, um, in the, in the script, a lot of stress on family and unity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, I, I really liked that. I liked how there was a positive message and how it wasn't like when we watch some of these movies and it's like they just toss it in at the end of the film. You know, like that's not, that doesn't say that throughout the whole movie for me, obviously. Right. So having that sort of permeate through the whole film, that honestly was my favorite part. But God, man. Good, good, good action. Great mm-hmm. CGI. Great, mm. uh, great battles. I was watching it the second time and I was pretty amazed at the most of the choreography in that film. Like, and the way they had the Jaegers interact with each other where yeah. one would fall down and then trip the other one or, you know, the kaiju. Oh man, when the kaiju split apart and turned into one mega kaiju, yeah. I just really enjoyed the whole thing. And, and, uh, as I think we all mentioned, we didn't see a lot of things coming. It wasn't, it wasn't a super predictable movie, which I loved. Right. So anyway, uh, th- there's tons of stuff we could talk about that we loved about this film. Oh yeah. I'm kind of wondering what irked you about it, Martin. Um, I only had one groaner moment and okay. I kind of felt like the first time that Newton got Liebwer together and Newt is using a lot of dialogue to be like, okay, so here's what happened in the first film and remember how we saved the day and did this. And, uh, and I get it. That was designed to be able to bring anybody up to speed who either sure, watched yeah. it one time yeah. and didn't remember all of that stuff or maybe didn't watch it. Kind of here's, here's what's going on. Exactly. So it, 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 it felt a little forced it felt forced exactly yeah, sure. so that's really my only groaner moment um to be honest i'm really upset that rinko kikuchi's character was killed because i like her a lot and, and i don't <laughs> think she should be dead that's, and i'm hoping that what this Mako? means Mako, is Mako, yeah. Yeah. Okay. i'm hoping what this means is it's going to clear up her schedule and they're going to redo <laughs> ghost in the shell and actually cast her for it which oh was her, be so good. That, was, so good. that was my vote to begin with so that's the only thing I'm upset about, but I'm looking at the silver lining. <laughs> and I'm sure lots of people are tuning in to <laughs> listen to what I have to say about redoing Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> so That's interesting that that's the only <laughs> gripe you have with the film. Uh, that's cool, though. I mean, I wonder, I do wonder, like, if it was a schedule issue, because I saw something where she said she was really happy to be part of it, but that could have just been... Some generic fluff piece where mm-hmm. you just say that, you know, really happy to be part of the production. Yeah. They only get me for a week. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, what about you, Gretchen? I'm trying to think of, I mean, I didn't really walk away from any moment going, oh, that was, would have been better if they didn't do that. I mean, honestly, it was so great. And I have nothing but positive things to say about it. Okay. Um, there were a lot of people that said that the first movie, they compared a lot to Evangelion, um, Evas, yeah. only in the drift compatibility thing. But this, holy smokes, like the drone Evas. Yeah, when they turn, when they into, turn into yeah. kaiju, I was like, that is an Eva. That's Evangelion. That I, is a demon oh, or an angel. Yeah. I That's feel a- like this movie sort of, okay. So the first Pacific Rim, I think many fans, especially of anime will remember 
some sort of blanket dismissal, like by the people who were making Pacific Rim. No, yeah. no, no. Evangelion wasn't an inspiration, which, whatever. I mean, I say, so what if it was? I say, I also say, well, it's as much of an Evangelion inspiration as it is, or inspired by Evangelion as it is inspired by Mazinger Z and Giant Robo. You know, it's, it's just one of those things where I think instead of it being one specific inspiration, especially the first film, it's like, just admit that you're, you are saying, yes, I love these things. This is a, this is a love letter. Like he said, like Del Toro said about it being for Kaiju. Right. So this one, I felt absolutely Stephen S. Knight and his whole crew. I I don't know who wrote it. They've totally seen it. They were just like, yep, we're borrowing from all these things. And I bet if you asked him, he'd be like, oh yeah, we made it like this, like this, like this. He was, he's got interviews where he's talking about like watching Kaiju films and Ultraman. Oh, that's awesome. Space giants. And I'm just like, yes. He could be my buddy. <laughs> so that's my only groaner is yeah. that they they originally had said for the first one that it was um, like Evangelion, but I really feel like this one for real drew it from that. Had lots of that had that lots feel of, uh, that this time. that darkness that of watching something that you created kind of turning against you. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Nice, nice, Mister Dave. Um, okay, so my my fast gripe. Okay, well, I can get through, get through quickly. <laughs> Is actually the uh, the Jaeger designs. Okay. Uh, they were lazy. Okay. It's like there wasn't a there wasn't a Crimson Typhoon or a Cherno Alpha in the bunch. Tiger mm. would agree with you. Yeah. And that, Not and that the, bummed my high. Them were inspired. That bummed my high a little bit. It's like it's like okay, so and you know Saber Athena does not count. Okay. It's like, <laughs> there's your, she was rad. There's your diversity robot, but that's you know, but that's it. You know the the. Since you're a Mazinger fan, no rocket boobs. Can- no rocket boobs. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I love you guys so much. <laughs> so good. Um, Set it up. Bam. Yeah, that was good. But it just—it just seemed to me that like there was this opportunity. Like I mean, I re- like it. It really. It would have. Um, what was the? Um, oh, I just saw the movie. Uh, Brazen. What was it? Was the, the the one with the big ball hand? What was the, which, which Bracer Phoenix Bracer Bracer. Yeah. Uh, Bracer Phoenix. It's like, I know that it would be totally completely impractical physically, but if like, if Bracer Phoenix had been like giant tank treads from the waist down, Oh, get her three. You see, I'm just, you know, I'm just saying it's like there, there's no reason for these things to be so literally, Bipedal, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. but you know, but human shaped and like human good guy robot shaped. It's like I all get right. we like in the in the original one. It's like Gypsy Danger is the most kind of like pretty, you know, kind of like like knight in shining armor shaped of the football of, player. Of, shaped, yeah, 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 there you go, like you know, football captain kind of thing. And but the, in this one, they all were shaped like that. Yeah, so, and that kind of bummed my high a little. Yeah, I and now I don't disagree with you mm-hmm. about the you know the potential for tank treads as the mode of transportation. I mean, you know? it's totally impractical. I, it, would, I, it would have been a bad logistical decision for. But we're talking about mm-hmm. we're talking about character design. But it'd be cool, and <laughs> and I so I do agree with you. Yeah. However, like the one thing that I would you know devil's advocate you on that is like how would two people who are sharing the same mind treat it more like a like an extension of their own bodies. Cause that's what I, that's how uh, I feel about the, Ye- that's how I feel the Jaegers are yeah. supposed to be. Right. Which right. by the way, I got to say, I thought they did a really great job of showing the drift compatibility between like Jake and Nate. 
right? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, like when they were, they worked so well together and it really flowed so perfectly while they were fighting. I never once like questioned that they were the drift compatible for yeah. sure. Right. Anyway, what were we talking about? Cause we're going to talk about Amara now. Okay. Yes. Okay. I did want to talk about it's that. It's like, okay. So here we are in a movie <laughs> where the villain is an alien intelligence taking over the brain of a scientist because he mind he had a mind meld with a giant alien kaiju brain okay which is which is uh starting a war between giant monsters and giant robots for the fate of humanity and the most unbelievable thing that i saw in that movie was a 14 year old girl who built her own giant robot <laughs> because she would have had to have started building that thing when she was 11. All right. This is garbage. She started at four because it was is 10 years later. Garbage. There is no, four years. There, you, I mean, yeah. sure. Good point. You know, but still, four it's year like, old I'm not, I'm not, she was, it was just like, it was too scrappy do to me. It was scrapper do. The the scrapper dude. Okay. Okay. That's that what I'm calling the little the the, the little guess, roly robot. I, I guess like, I wasn't assuming that she built that thing completely from scratch, 100. Yeah, so it was a smart. Yeah, you yeah. Know, but like, they, like it had like different arms and yeah, different it, feet yeah. and stuff. So it was I just, just assumed it's just, like I thought that I to me she felt shoehorned into the story. Okay, you mm-hmm. know a little bit, and it was like a little bit too, you know, like. It was it was yeah it was just too scrapper do for me. I couldn't you know, and then like and then at the end when. I mean, it was a. I I got it at the end when Shao is piloting Scrapper, and sure, like, yeah, and saves the day, and uh, it was, you know, it was just to me that was just like that. I mean, I get it. It's like we've got it. We've got a, whole, and I also get why they killed off Makomori because it's like now you basically have an entire you have an entirely new, with the exception of Gottlieb and Newt, right? You have an entirely new. Actually, even I would even even argue that Newt is new. Because sure. it's not the same it's character really anymore. New, right. He's no, yeah. it's no longer wacky Charlie Day being the comic relief. Mm-hmm. He now he is this alien possessed villain, you know. So even he's kind of a new character. Um, it's like it's Kenji its own Sahara it's its own franchise Yaw. now. Yeah, you know. And it oh is, oh, I have a prediction. Okay. Oh, you know, we can wait, 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 finish, finish we, your thought about we, it. its own franchise now. Well, and it's like it's 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 its own thing with 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 Mako gone. There's, there's, I mean, it's like, not that she was baggage exactly, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, now it's like, it's its own story. It's, it's, it's partially, it's a, I'm guessing because it feels like at the end of the first movie, it was like, oh, we're over and done. And the, the end of this movie, it's like, yes, there is a sequel yes. coming, right? Yes. Yeah. Very much so. I hear you. Very, I hear you. Very, very much so. Okay. The, um, I also want like on the subject of not seeing it coming, like we were talking about with Charlie Day and the alien brain and everything. Yeah. Okay. I missed his name, the Chinese kid with the great abs, who gets bled on. Jin, um, Jin Ho, or Jin Hai. Jin Hai. Really close. I missed, yeah, Thank I missed you. His name. Okay, I had to write him down. Uh, he, you like, they do the whole, they do the whole alien blood thing, yeah. and they're like, okay, and it, they do the whole alien blood thing, and it never goes addressed, anywhere. yeah, anywhere, except this guy has kaiju DNA in him now. 
Was it supposed to be kaiju blood running through that? No, I think there was no. some kaiju blood in it, but there's yeah, that, that stuff like called some, kaiju blue. There's that stuff. He's got some weird, right. But he, he got yeah, illness yeah. from it. He, he got some kind of weird. Oh, he, just got, he basically you know, just got burned. But yeah. it, burned, it, burned, it burned into him. <clears throat> Interesting. So whatever that mm. stuff was, it's in him now. Are you, and now just, you're looking for the seeds. And now I'm looking for the seeds. I'm looking for I the seeds. Because now I see, I see what they're doing. I see what yes. they're doing. I see what they did to us <laughs> in that first movie. See, you got to you got to watch. It's it's all plot. It's all, it's all they're trying to. Man, you got them big old goddamn robots there. Robots gonna come at you, and it turns into monsters. You got monster blood in you, and so I'm I'm just thinking it's like that was kind of a weird little throwaway. You know, he's got the bandage on his arm later in the scene when they when they kick Amara out and everything like that. So it's an intentional thing that goes nowhere. Okay, so oh man, so I this is one of the issues I have with the myself is not knowing all of the details of everything in this movie. Hmm. I'm trying to place who was in what Jaeger in the in the end fight, basically, right? Because Amara was in in Victoria. Did Amara leave her? her uh jaeger on purpose or did she not on purpose but did she leave it willingly like i'm gonna get out of this jaeger or did she eject she ejected she did she ejected she ejected. Because she ejected. that much tore bracer phoenix yeah apart. right okay did her cohort survive that though? yes yes the only one who died was like the pakistani looking guy yes correct he's the only one who died okay he was the one in uh the 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 jaeger that had the whip Mm-hmm. Right, the arc whip, yeah. yeah, which I loved, by the way. I loved all the weird sci-fi stuff, like the, the gravity the, the gun. Weapon, and well, you know why the weapons are that way. Awesome, gravity sling. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a great weapon. I found out why the weapons are like that. Why is that? Because that way they wouldn't spread kaiju blue. Oh yes, yes. Mm. Oh. Nice. So don't make them bleed. They don't become. They don't toxic and really wreck the environment like in the first. The Gypsy film. Avenger still had the big sword on him. They it has yeah, it was a fire. It was a blue blade, like that electric. Oh. It's like a cauterizing yeah. blade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They think of almost everything in these. They movies. spread quite a bit of kaiju blue at the end of the movie, though. Oh, on the top of Mount Fuji. The whole Mount Fuji <laughs> yeah, is covered well. with it. Yeah. 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 Man. Okay. So, well, I still do. Uh, so, I want to talk about the nitpicks that I have, which are ridiculous nitpicks that's okay. not real problems that i have <laughs> oh you're trying to who's where I, yeah so the first thing we're going to talk about is uh we're going to talk about when they determine where the kaiju are heading there are three kaiju left after the rest of the ones were not able to come through their own uh rifts and these three kaiju are converging on mount fuji and so they show Mount Fuji, and I'm not going to gripe too hard about where they show Mount Fuji mm-hmm. on the map of Japan <laughs> Because it's not super mega far off, right? Whatever this, they've got kaiju coming from three different coastlines, all coming to Mount Fuji. But Mount Fuji is not right next to Tokyo. And like the very first thing I thought, jokingly, while we were watching the movie, is like, I hope all those kaiju don't show up in the same city together because that would just not be realistic at all. (laughs) 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 Because literally. Literally, they would come from the opposite sides of Mount Fuji. You'd have somebody coming from Tokyo, somebody coming from the Osaka region, and then someone coming from the northern, northwestern side of Japan. You uh, are absolutely correct. I am a nerd, though. When it comes to that this stuff. This movie sucks. <laughs> fake kaiju movie. Man. Fake kaiju movie. No, so I, uh, I didn't care that much about it, but I thought it was hilarious. 
I, uh, uh, so I haven't seen it twice. I want to go and see it again. So I'm not going to nitpick on certain things, but I am curious about if all of those rifts had been open long enough for all of the kaiju to come through them. How big of a kaiju could have possibly been knitted together oh, with tr- all oh, of those <laughs> turned into like the mega kaiju? Oh, Honestly, yeah. they, wouldn't have, they wouldn't have had to have knitted them together if all of them had come through probably because not, they, yeah. they would have been outnumbered to don't ruin to this for me. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> Also, who do you think would win the fight? Uh, Gamera or Gypsy Danger? The Millennium Falcon or I shouldn't make fun of that because we totally were supposed to do March Madness this year. The The Iron Giant versus Ultraman. Oh, wait. Uh, That's in Ready Player One. (laughs) Womp womp. Uh, Speaking of the knitting the kaijus together, everybody else had flashbacks to Gamma versus Legion during that, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When okay. they... When all the little, like, when... The when, little things came Newt's out? robot army... Yeah. Yes. Weird little crustacean-looking things... Yeah. ...swarmed over the three kaijus and knit them together? I didn't because no. my initial reaction... Okay, so this is a total personal issue that I have with most modern-day, big-budget CGI... Uh, fests right like guardians of the galaxy like the avengers movies it's like i feel like they go okay we have we've made a model of this one thing and here we go that's me typing in the computer uh let's multiply (laughs) that by 50 bajillion and then we're gonna put them in this direction and make them go in this arc and render (laughs) And, (laughs) and then on screen it just looks like nothing to me so when that first happened when they first released those, I really, my, my butt cheeks clenched a little bit. I was like, <laughs> oh, what are they doing? But then once they got on the kaiju and started right. working their magic, I was sold. So I, I, thought cool. that that was a, I also thought that that was a creative way of getting the three kaijus together instead of just, you know, Wonder Twin powers activate. Right, yeah. yeah. And they just like, yeah, pile yeah. on each other and like meld into one thing. Or they it's could like, have like eaten each other. Or like what yeah, they do in Ultraman something. where they, they just all of a sudden it turns red and yes. they're yeah. <laughs> joined. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. it's and it's and it's one creature, like the three creatures come together and all of a sudden it's one creature with three heads and six legs. Yeah. Well, yeah. they do that with Destroya too. That's always a yeah, thing yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I let's like uh oh go ahead. No, I just say I liked that they used a little Whatever they were. And I also thought it was interesting that there was never a street level shot of all of those little robot knitting creatures, you know, running towards the kaiju. It was always like, you know, from, from far away. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. when they, even when they were on the kaiju and a little bit more close up, you could see that they kind of looked like weird little shrimp lobster things. They did. They but really they, did. Yeah. But there wasn't a lot of detail. They were sort of backlit. I got so to, they were mostly in silhouette. I got to actually watch that, a lot of that scene. That whole fight scene, yeah, they, they've got it online. It's like some special oh, thing no that you can watch. So, uh, I, while I was getting my car worked on today, <laughs> I was like <laughs> sitting in the waiting room watching a whole bunch of Pacific Rim stuff. And yeah, that was the first time I noticed that they looked like little tiny little kaiju or little shrimp guys, yeah, like little, little crustaceans. Guys. Yeah, definitely. Like they for, they were from the antiverse or at least designed from the antiverse. Uh, so. One of the things that Lady Kyle is into when she watches these movies is she's into the trivia. So immediately after watching a movie, she'll hop on IMDb and find some cool trivia stuff. Oh. And so I thought it would be kind of cool to just share a little bit of trivia before we sort of like wrap stuff up. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one of the things that she found out is that um, 
it, this is to back up my nitpick. Mount Fuji is actually 130 kilometers or 80.778 miles from Tokyo. <laughs> and while you're in Tokyo, as Gretchen can probably attest to, you can definitely not see Mount Fuji. You can't see Mount Fuji. You can you, on a really clear day. You in can a see high, Mount Fuji. high area. That but, actually yeah, reminds not, me. It's Xander, so far away. My son Xander did have a nitpick. Oh, really? When Gottlieb is, is radioing to the Jaeger pilots and says that the Mega Kaiju is two kilometers away from Mount Fuji. Oh, I had the same nitpick. And Xander turns to me and goes, that's like three steps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, for, for a monster totally. that size. Two kilometers <laughs> is nothing. Two kilometers is nothing for a monster that size. The monster totally. is seven kilometers long, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's so I, I thought that that was funny. Good on your side. I know, right? Sure, right? That's awesome. <laughs> Also, some like stuff you never would notice just from watching the movie. Bracer Phoenix is the second Mark V Jaeger. The first was Striker Eureka from the Whoa. first film. Uh, all of the other Jaegers in the movie are, uh, which would be Gypsy Avengers, Saber Athena, Titan Redeemer, Guardian Bravo. Those are Mark Sixes. Mm, and that's sure. built after that sort of like, or during the 10 year gap between Pacific Rim and right. Pacific Rim Uprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they say in some of that, you know, behind the scenes interview stuff that that's why they look different is because they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to make these sleek. They don't look that different. They don't look that they different look enough. That different. They don't look different enough for Dave. Nope. Dave wants. I want Cherno Alpha. I want Cherno Alpha too. I so love Cherno Alpha. I know he's the best. Don't you want Garada K7? When, when they. That's what I want. Oh my God, that would be so good. so good. When they like. Pull off Obsidian Fury's face. It, it was it's just like, like a skull. <laughs> he had big blades that came oh, out from the side. How badass would that have been? Oh my god! Okay. Uh, oh, during the final battle in uh, Tokyo, you see the Gundam statue. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which, if you've been to Tokyo, that's not what the Gundam statue actually looks like. And it's also not there anymore, right? It, it is. They've just oh, they updated just put it. it. Okay. But, but it's still in Odaiba, and they were no near, nowhere near Odaiba. Yeah. Nerds. Uh, okay. <laughs> Bracer Phoenix is the second kaiju to have three pilots, like yeah. Crimson Typhoon. Like Crimson Typhoon. Which second was Jaeger. actually, Jaeger, yeah. what did I say, kaiju? Yeah. 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 We're, we're, we know oh, we spoiler know. alerts for the third movie. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> oh, it's ruined for me. Uh, let's see. Oh, here's a good one. So uh, in 2016, Daredevil composer John Passano, which I don't know if I'm saying that right, was announced to be the official composer for Pacific Rim uh, Uprising. And then he actually did record something in Vienna last fall, but he was replaced by Lauren Balf as the composer. Okay. So somewhere out there, there is a completely different score Ooh. for this film. Maybe it's on the internet somewhere. I don't know. Interesting. But I sure as hell would love to hear it just for the hell of it. I mean, he, like I said, he's the guy who scored Daredevil. So it would be interesting just from a nerdy fan perspective to hear that score. I thought Lauren Balfe's score was totally serviceable and actually pretty, pretty good at like linking itself to the first movie, but treating itself as its own score. Nothing really stood out to me too much either way. Like I didn't think it was bad or good. It just sort of was there you know i gotta be honest i don't uh, a lot of time I, I, the score is just one of those things that's just in the background for me that's I what i think it should often, be i don't mm-hmm. often notice it and i didn't i was on the way here mm-hmm. i was thinking about that nerdist 
mashup. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was the, the, amazing. The, the, the tokusatsu. Have you seen that? Well, I should I play the so. audio. Oh, for that. dude. Yeah, I'll play it's the audio. That's fantastic. For that it's, it's like, and it, and it, it was to me, I was, I was thinking about that and thinking about how even how there really is a different feel with Eastern giant figure mm-hmm. thing movies and Western ones. But, um, I was, I was thinking about how cool it would have been if it had had like a, or how interesting it would have been if even during one scene, if they had sort of tipped the hat and done like a 1970s, oh, <laughs> you know, like like battle, some sort of nod, yeah, yeah. you know, mm. the like or like 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 the in the Godzilla movies, the, the 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 music they always use when the tanks are approaching. How about this? You know, they could. Here's my just, idea for it. Yeah, you're setting the scene. They're battling in Tokyo, and you see. <laughs> news coppers, you know, shooting the action. And then it cuts to a guy on top of a building speaking into a microphone to the ca- to the camera. And then it cuts from that scene to someone in like a ramen shop eating his noodles <laughs> with a really old ass TV. <laughs> and it awesome because it's an old ass TV. It would look like an old tokusatsu show in the oh. background. Oh. That's what I would do. That'd be great. That's how, if, that would be a good if nod. Dave, if Dave and I were on set and Dave uh, said that, that oh, was yeah. like, oh, I'm going to do something. Yeah. No, that's good. <laughs> In the, that's you good. know, mysterious I just, you know, I, world. I, I love the tips of the hat to the, you know, to the origins of where all this mm-hmm. stuff came from. Uh, did anyone have anything that they thought specifically was a nod to tokusatsu stuff from the specific tokusatsu stuff? I know one thing that I'm, it's an Easter egg that I'm going to say. Mm. What's that? When they're decoding Mako's transmission, right? So they've yes. got this sort of like crazy looking ball yes. of right. data. It's holographic data that they're trying to surf through. And then Gottlieb does it and it's a kaiju head silhouette or so we think. Mm-hmm. They go to check it against the database. If you go see it, look towards the left hand side of the screen because a whole bunch of icons come up of different kaiju mm-hmm. and one of them says Batra. And I I freaked out because it was only there for a millisecond. And I was like, now I want to see the rest of that. Yeah. I remember oh, seeing that list. I, yeah. I saw him there, but I, it was so quick. I didn't notice yeah, what they yeah. said. I caught so the taku. I, yeah. I just saw the one, and it was actually like adult form Batra's yeah, profile of uh, of his of his head there. Whoa. So it's like, dude. Like, that's I, so good. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. Oh, see, now uh, I want to know what they all were. Yeah, I totally want to know. Like, if it's got to be online. If it's not, it'll be there by Monday. If it's, <laughs> nice. it's got to. Oh, this is. We're recording this so early in the film's development. I know we've done like our last Pacific Rim one. We recorded it like right after the theater, mm-hmm. but this one, like, it just opened like yesterday, yesterday. officially. So, yeah. I I'm really looking forward to seeing what people are gonna say when they send in their homework because I gave them like close to a week. To send it in. Um, when do you get? What, oh, I guess it's the twenty seventh. Twenty seventh is good. Oh, okay. Yeah, but so like they've People got would, like several days to to go see. I would the think film. that anybody who would listen to Kaiju Cast is probably going to see it this weekend. I well, we've already gotten a few people who've sent their stuff in. So for them. fingers crossed, we'll get some more people in. But uh, dedicated fans. I haven't this read the good, reviews yet. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely dedicated fans. I hope it does better domestically than Pacific. The first Pacific Rim did. I hope it does better, My, just in terms of. Uh, 
for Legendary and their current situation. Right. Oh, wait, what's their current situation? They are, they're co-owned by Wanda, the Chinese corporation. Mm-hmm. So okay. basically everything that they release, like it's one of the reasons they got involved is that everything does really well in China. Yeah. So, but this is like giving them bigger budgets and more money, essentially. So we, oh. we want, oh, nice. We want the next MonsterVerse films to do well. So we want Pacific Rim to do well so that it's like, Nobody gets cold feet about Godzilla 2 or Godzilla 3. Well, I, thought, <laughs> I mean, I, I actually think that Pacific Rim, um, the first one, its um, international box office mm-hmm. was eye-opening to the Hollywood studio system. Because, mm. I mean, Pacific Rim tanked domestically, didn't it? It, it made just under $100 million in the States, but in I think States. it was double that in China alone. Oh, exactly. I, I think it was just under... $500 million globally. Oh, really? That's all? I, I think oh, okay. half a billion bucks. That's pretty good. I mean, well, I, I mean, but it must have cost, what, 150 to make? I think it was in the uh, 170 was, range. Hang on. I can tell you this. 170, 180. Okay. I think the first one, but I don't know how much he spent. You know, a lot of times yeah. you can spend half that again in marketing then yeah. too. The thing, the thing that I do know is that the domestic or the international box office saved that movie. Yeah. And, absolutely. and basically, you know, put it in a, Put it in sequel contention. Yeah. You know, and like if it had just been, you know, ugly Americans watching that movie, we would not be having this discussion right now. Yeah. It was a much bigger hit in China, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I think it was like four, four ninety, four ninety nine, somewhere in there. I think it was just a touch under half a billion okay. for its, for what it made. And that's just in theaters. That's not, that's not including, uh, uh, I DVD, think, uh, Blu ray or DVD. Yeah. I think that anything. was just its, its box office goes. says 411 million. That's all. And, okay. There you yeah. Go. And then I think I saw something about, uh, the budget was 180. Okay, so not a huge return on the investment, but breaking but even is enough. But like I if think you can you're right even. about. Oh, cool. you're yeah, definitely sure. right about the international market. It was oh, way totally better for the international. Totally market. saved it. And I think it, you know, kind of taught the uh, the Hollywood studio a, a lesson is that there are, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter what people in you know. That's in, why they're investing in movies like The Great Wall because The Great Wall didn't make that much money in America. I don't think it did very well. $19. Yeah. But it, 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 but that was a a big film in China. Was it? Yeah. So that's, that's, there are three billion. Great wall. And the actress who played, um, in, in this film, they're the same, right? What is her name? Sorry. Are you you talking about, Oh, that it might be the same Chinese studio then. Yeah. Is it Chow? Well, no, that her character's name is, Xiao. Xiao. Yeah. Xiao. Yeah. yeah. Xiao is played by Jing Qian, and she was in Kong Skull Island. I think she is probably an actress, you know, directly from China that mm. essentially was part of, not part of the deal. This is all speculation, listeners, but basically no. with this merger, this, you know, this, this business that the Wanda Corporation has gotten into with Legendary, I, I actually applaud them bringing like a legit Chinese actress into this too, you know. Oh, I think she was great. Yeah, she, and she was really great. I, I thought in Kong Skull Island she was fine, and I haven't seen The Great Wall yet, but I thought in Pacific Rim Uprising she did a bla- yeah, she was a blast and she did a great job. Mm-hmm. You know, the I I have watched Great Wall, mm-hmm. and I actually think that just about everything about Great Wall, with the exception of the American actors that are in it, say, is good. Really, it, it's everything a, but Matt Damon. It's a beautiful movie. <laughs> like Check the it out the the uh, production design and the practical stuff that they built is 
gorgeous. Wow. The monster stuff is, is okay, and it's and it's kind of fun. Like it's a fun thing, but it's Matt Damon and one other guy uh, who was in Game of Thrones. They're the weak link, but I mm. think they were there to kind of oh, sell it for America and some other stuff. It's actually a beautiful looking film. Huh. Yeah. All right. Well, so far I'm. I guess I, as a fan, I'm super happy of this. You know relationship that that legendary has gone into super i'm really duper happy definitely psyched for what happens next i i didn't think i had any real visual gripes about visually you know about effects and and budget and so forth mm. for pacific room uprising do uh, we know what the budget was for this movie let's find out i was curious about that and i hadn't looked it up i was wondering if you it was comparable expensive. or less it's expensive movie. Th- well it does but you know tonight Oh, less. Uh, th- their, yeah, their what? budgets their budgets for Daredevil are not very big, my understanding well, is, and their schedules are really tight. Yeah. But those those do look really good. Those are good shows. I think the Marvel stuff on the I mean, they they look better than what they get a budget for for the Marvel shows. This I don't and, know what their budget is, but that's probably I, I believe that. And and so that's what I felt like. And that one of the strengths of bringing him in was he knew how to do a lot with a little. You know, that reminds me so much of Gareth Edwards being brought onto Godzilla in 2014 yeah. or for 2014's yeah. film. Yeah. You know, Gareth Edwards produced Monsters, which cost like two million, yeah. like nothing. And yeah. then he's like, I love that movie. signing you for, uh, for a, you know, what was it? Probably about 150 million. It, I think it was about the same That's as Pacific Rim. Somewhere in there, yeah. It sucked. But anyway, yeah, so this uh, that's their M.O. That's Legendary's M.O. now. Yeah. I mean, if you think of, uh, oh, my gosh, what's his name? Jordan Roberts, who did Kong Skull Island. Yeah. He's also someone who hasn't done a lot of stuff. At least they're bringing in people now that I feel are better suited for some of the jobs that they have. Like, I they have some I, track. I record. think they're they're <laughs> in many ways. I could say the same thing about the Gamera series, the mm-hmm. the Heisei Gamera series. You know, the first one was really good, you know, or at least a real solid effort. And then the, just, they just kept improving. And I feel like Legendary's monster movies are improving mm-hmm. for sure. So I liked, you know, Kong Skull Island better yeah. than Godzilla. And I liked yeah. Pacific Rim Uprising better than Kong Skull Island. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Godzilla 2. Earlier, Dave, you mentioned the alien aliens right. connection and uh, how Alien was a horror movie. Aliens was an action movie. And I absolutely feel like the Godzilla series could do the same thing, should do the same thing. The first movie, we'll call it a disaster film, I guess. Absolutely. Well, And, and, and then the second movie, I would rather see that turn into an action movie or something a little more faster paced with a little more comedy inserted well, into it. Don't we already know that Mothra and Ghidorah are going to be in it? I think that that is what everybody is under the assumption that Mothra right. and Ghidorah and Rodan are all going to be in this right. next movie. I think that, I think what kind of like to go back to the alien aliens comparison. Sure. Is alien restraint when it came to showing the creature was the was was Ridley Scott's absolutely you know was oh, yeah. was his was his theme throughout the entire thing. It's like not you know, like being being scared of it because you're only seeing pieces of it absolutely up, in, up until that one shot at the end, which honestly I think the movie could have done without. And then aliens exactly the opposite. Tons of them. You see them all the time. They're jumping out of the walls. It's like it's like crazy. Crazy. A different stuff. kind of terror. Though. Different, you know, different kind of different kind of terror. Um, 
you look at Godzilla 2014, Kong Skull Island, and now Pacific Rim Uprising, um, Godzilla 2014, obviously, and we knew it back when we first saw it, we knew it four years ago, suffered from not enough monster. Definitely. You know, yeah. not nearly enough monster. That is not a problem that we have. One of them is. Yeah. You know, it, it, like, it, had, it had a ton of monster. I forget what that lead actor's name is, but there was way too much of that monster. <laughs> but, you know, so it's like. Oh, yeah, that dude. So, the, so like, yeah, we do not have those problems with Pacific Rim Uprising or right. with Kong Skull, Kong, Matt, Kong Skull Island. Yeah. So, no you know, I think you're, I think Legendary is definitely on a trajectory. Mm-hmm. They've cracked the code. I think the, I think I think their MonsterVerse movies from here on out are going to be you know just a fan just a buffet for fans. I I want I want their Monster Universe stuff to like keep going and doing what they're doing. Like you said, they've kind of figured it out. Maybe some few other things to kind of figure out. Mm-hmm. And I really want Warner Brothers to a certain degree to kind of be like, oh man, we missed the boat breaking up with these guys because of our whole Universal Monster world that we're doing right, now right um because i i it's it's off to a shaky the start with universe. the mon- yeah the dark universe oh, the that's dark the universe? one <laughs> no, you know, yeah. it's like we could that's that's a whole other conversation we could have it, it is but but <laughs> i but my point was is that i think legendary i agree that it's tapping into something and it's figuring yeah. it out and some other people aren't figuring it oh, out as quickly but between between what legendary is doing and um oh what's the uh, oh shape of water yeah, that just uh, which is it's the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, it's the creature from or my favorite and Abe uh, Zabian. You know, and uh, or uh, as I like to call it, <laughs> Grinding Nemo. Ah! <laughs> yeah, I, I can't take credit for that, but it's, it's, it's oh my god. But um, uh, it's like they they're now being shown how to do it. Yeah, you know they're not they're now seeing it's like oh wait so the movie can be good. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think Legendary is blazing the path for them. I actually have, I have hope going forward. Admittedly, the recent Mummy movie kind of, kind of, yeah, kind of, kind of dampened my hope a little sad bit. Days. They, have, they haven't quite got it out of their system yet. Right. But I think when Legendary comes, I think when the next Godzilla movie comes out and it makes more money than God, I think that they're going to start to figure it out, mm-hmm. and it's going to help. It's going to, you know, something. It's going to help the whole industry. A rising yeah. tide raises all ships. Yes, or something, right? exactly. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. I don't remember how the exact phrasing yeah. goes. No, that's pretty close. Yeah, yeah. It's close enough. Uh, hey, so real quick, speaking of Shape of Water, directed by Guillermo del Toro, uh, one of the other tidbits of information that Lady Kyle found out is probably the reason he stepped away from being involved with Pacific Rim Uprising, because uh, he was originally, I think, going to be a producer was because he had too much to do because of Shape of Water. Mm. And then, of course, well, congratulations, him, Del right. Toro, yeah. <laughs> winning the uh, Oscar. He uh, is yeah. quite a creative guy. I think yeah. he is, too. I, so, he's yeah. one of my top five. Did you guys oh, for sure. feel yeah. that this movie, m- where you were missing his creativity from Pacific Rim Uprising? Because I think that is one of the complaints I see about this film from kaiju fans. It- I expected to, but did not. Interesting. Okay. I did. I mean, it ha- he has a certain like element to to the way he makes like monsters and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like they have um I don't know, like a squibby quality to him. I don't know. Like a you know <laughs> No, no, he has his style. He yeah. has like his we, style. Like we were talking about with Keita Amamiya. Yeah. Right? Um, sorry, Amemia. Like Del Toro has a visual style and it's been in 
you know, in some form or another, it's been in every movie he's worked sure. on. Sure. And like yeah. the kaiju didn't have that same look as they did in the first film. They had similar. They had um very like but they are descendants of those kaiju or whatever. New biomechanisms, right. I'd say. Because they were all they were all different. Very like some of them were even more mammalian. And the thing you were talking about, them looking too streamlined. That's because he didn't have part of that. I mean, the reason why those other uh, oh the Jaegers Jaegers look like that is because um, that was Guillermo's like vision for oh, him. Oh well, like, there you go. Like the tower, the 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 smokestacks for the for oh, yeah, the for Russian. Alpha. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Oh, no, the Guillermo del Toro's stable of character designers mm-hmm. with like Guy Davis and Chet Zar. Totally, and just these amazing, Chet Zar is yeah, yeah. so good. These amazing, amazing people. It does. It's like. Everybody, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that it wouldn't have quite, you know, I actually, no, you're right. She's absolutely right. Now I'm thinking about it. I take back what I said. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, and I don't, I don't actually miss it. I, I think that this movie stays, uh, on tone and pulse well enough with what we had in the first movie that I don't feel like I'm missing something. Uh, and I, it, it, I just feel like I'm in the same world. I really do. Oh, yeah. I feel like yeah, I'm in the Dredd, same back world. Back to what I said originally. Yeah. Uh, Dredd, yeah. Dredd, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's it, those qualities that is missing that, I mean, that are missing, not missing. It's just that there was that hominess to the original movie. And then this one has the what's continued on. Like, this is how we picked up and continued to fight this battle or not fight this battle and kind of deal with the world Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. after the aftermath of that battle. You know, the one thing that del Toro, I I don't want to say that I don't think he should have been involved in this film, Mm. but I definitely don't think we would have gotten anywhere close to the same film because, you know, these Jaeger and the the Kaiju in Pacific Rim uprising, they took a backseat to our main, our cast. Mm. Right. And where I think that the first film, I really feel the first film has everybody sort of on equal footing, you know, like, you know, just as much about the kaiju in that movie, the first film and the Jaegers in that first film, as you do about the pilots and the other people who are in there. Whereas Pacific Rim Uprising, they didn't put so much like they, they named the kaiju once and it was a very quick throwaway line almost. Hmm. And then they never, they, they do sometimes reference them during the fight. But it's mostly, you know, go there, do this, follow me. Like, they don't say, you attack, uh, hang on, what's their names? <laughs> I don't, I don't even remember them being well, named. But, our, but yeah. our, our, our frame of, of time is so different in this film because in Pacific Rim, we're coming in at the end, like the war's been going on and all this stuff and they're predicting things mm. getting worse and, you know, they're having to deal with this. These guys have literally had 10 years of nothing happening. Right. And so we're coming in at the very beginning. So it's, it's, it's all having to unravel in front of us. Sure. I just mean them. like it's, they're not like spending a lot of time creating exposition for the kaiju, sure. creating exposition for and stories behind the Jaeger. You know, right. like the different Jaegers that they have, like because they don't have we, them, they literally we, don't have them. I agree. They, I'm with you. They should though. They but they're, should. They're but all they're new. new. They're all new and sleek. They've gone ten the years long. without having to. 
no, I think they were all they they were, I don't know if any of them had seen battle. Those were all things oh, I don't that know if they were like show pieces, I think, or something they were talking yeah, about them. That because that can I say that they'd never seen battle before. I it's the impression you get, oh, like, okay, because everybody. They have all done training in simulators. Remember how he's saying right. nobody's like actually been on one. I'm right. actually. I, we talking about I am now switching Both. my my vote. I now have a huge gripe with this movie because Uh-oh. no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I got because I uh, there was actually something that that Stephen had said in there in a tweet. That uh, was a question that somebody he was answering it, and it was about why. Gypsy Danger wasn't Gypsy Danger anymore. It's Gypsy Avenger. And it was because, well, you know, everything's moved. Everything's changed. No one's been at war. It's been 10 years. It's the, they've rebuilt everything. It's all, it's all new. It's an all new beginning. That's yeah. why everything is the way it is. Right on. I mean, I'm down with that. I'm down with that. But, uh, how would I say this? Hang on. I don't know. <laughs> Martin, how do I say my words? <laughs> Did you ever figure out where um, show or Shao was in the end? Like, was yes. she? She was she in was a plane. She was in a Told plane. Ya. So basically, remember we we said it, and he was like, "No." A heli <laughs> a heli plane passed over Japan and dropped uh, dropped scrapper, scrapper. Yeah. and yeah. that is where she was. She was in that plane. She was in the plane. Oh, she yeah. was remote piloting scrapper, yeah. not yeah. in scrapper. I thought okay. she was in scrapper too because she was still all like beat up looking. You know, she right. looked like I was, messy. but then she oh. didn't get out at the end that right. when they were all on the hillside. Yeah, we you know? totally drove away from the movie and we were going, wait a second, what? how did what? that happen? So we thought it was a huge plot hole, but then it turned out to be like we just weren't paying attention. Gotcha. It was okay. so fast. Yeah, it was so fast. I, hey, I will guys, say I'm that the movie is very fast paced. Like, yeah, I saw somebody say they thought it dragged in the middle and i'm like what What? middle where was that (laughs) because i swear the next thing i knew i like was like whoa we're in tokyo they're on their way to mount fuji yeah (laughs) Yeah, very fast yeah one of the really great things that i love kind of like a just one of those i love this aspect of it was that there was you when you're talking about red herrings, setting you up for red herrings yeah you thought there was going to be this huge relationship or love triangle between um the pilot oh 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 right okay with Clint Eastwood's son right so you're talking about oh, the Julia, love triangle Julia and, and uh, uh Lambert and, and John Boyega very good yes very good. thank you yeah. so thank you. Pentecost yeah, yeah. Lambert and uh Jules, Jules. who Jules, has a name Julia? yeah I don't remember yeah. she has a name it's in here somewhere Jules Reyes so I love how we thought there was going to be a relationship there. They hinted at it, and then it fell apart. It was a very side note kind of kind of thing. <laughs> I good, love yeah. that it was not going to be like, oh, you we have to do it. Yeah, it would have been completely in the way. <laughs> right, well, exactly, like in the yeah. first one. Yes. <laughs> but the first one was vague on purpose, and it Just served a weird purpose. Didn't need it. I guess. But I, I agree we didn't need that. I, we did not need that. This movie is about saving the world. That's right. We can all be drift compatible without being in a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That actually sounds like the best place for us to uh, move into actual final thoughts about this film. So we've talked a lot about it. We could just wrap things up. I'm assuming we all still love the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, would you show it to a kaiju newbie? You already said you feel like you have to show Pacific Rim to them. I think I. I mean, you don't absolutely have to, but you're only going to get eighty percent of the movie if you haven't seen Pacific Rim. Right. Eighty percent is good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a that's a big that's a big uh, delightful mouthful of uh, movie fun. 
But um, yeah, it's it's just it'll it'll be better if you have Pacific Rim first. Cool, cool, Gretchen. I totally would show it to a kaiju newbie for right. sure. Okay. Uh, and I agree with Dave. I I I would show it to an, a newbie as well, but I think you'd get the eighty percent. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Well, like I said, we did get some homework from the listeners. So we did. Starting with Diego, who says that Pacific Rim Uprising was another summer blockbuster movie from Legendary Pictures, dropped off in March, like Kong Skull Island. Still a lot of fun, but a little less thinking involved, and a bunch more teenagers. The effects were top-notch, Tokyo in peril, adequate acting, there are worse ways to spend a few hours. He rates it three and a half buckets of kaiju blood out of five. In order to get ready to watch the new Pacific Rim, Eli sat down to watch the original, which is one of his favorite films of all time. But it hurts Pacific Rim Uprising if you try and compare the two films because it's not actually trying to be the original. It's trying to be a mix of Power Rangers and the original, leaning a little bit more towards the Power Rangers, but still having some of the spirit of the original film. Pacific Rim Uprising leans heavily on its main star, John Boyega, as he carries this film through some of the weaker human drama. Eli would have loved to learn more about some of the new characters they introduced, but the humans are not the real stars. That title would have to go to the Jaeger-Kaiju hybrid they used to open the breach back up. He loved them so much he jumped out of his seat and clapped. Overall, a great sequel and one of his favorite sequels of all time. And did you guys notice that one of the many complaints against the original film was that they didn't use Gypsy Danger's sword enough, but Gypsy Avenger pretty much uses it any chance they get. Eli just thought that was awesome and cannot wait for the third film. Four out of five Jaeger swords. Jason hated Pacific Rim Uprising. The sequel to Guillermo del Toro's Ode to Ashiro Honda's humanist kaiju films is Hollywood product designed to appeal to the young adult and Chinese audiences. The battles lack stakes because no value was placed on human life. Our heroes weaponize cars and buildings in a city full of people, then frolic in the snow immediately afterwards. Add China pandering at that the city full of people was Tokyo and politics get ugly. Don't bother, newbies. He really hopes this film isn't indicative of the forthcoming legendary MonsterVerse films. Pacific Rim Uprising, a Daikaiju discussion from the view of a kaiju film director, Dakota. The film that's good, yet not. Something that seems to be something controversial with some kaiju fans. While its story is good, it makes up for what it lacks in story with epic battles. There were a couple of Godzilla monster references, notably when they found the image of that island and cross-referenced it with the kaiju known from the list of the war. Dakota noticed one name, Gigan, and his profile was used for the icon. The scene is quick but must have many Easter eggs. Jaeger and Kaiju hybrids were a nice new touch, plus daytime fights are a super nice change. 8 out of 10 breaches. Mike Keller has only seen Pacific Rim Uprising once as of this review, but he intends to see it at least once more before it leaves theaters. Both this film and The Last Jedi have really shaken whatever trust he may have had in Rotten Tomatoes. The critics' score for both of these films were so far removed from his perception of each as to be comical. This creates a crisis as, for the most part, Mike has found himself in agreement with the Rotten Tomatoes scores until this past year. What is he going to do to gauge whether or not he should see films he's on the fence about? And how is he supposed to read the Rotten Tomato scores of Godzilla 2, etc. now? It's a tragedy. Somebody hug Mike and tell him it will be okay. But on to Uprising. Mike is not prepared to say if the film is better or worse than the first one. His initial reaction is the two flicks are equal. Each has strong and weak points that cancel each other out in the mix. 
He likes that this film saves its best action sequence for the climax, as opposed to part one, where the battle in Hong Kong completely overshadowed the climax underwater. He also likes that two of his favorite characters, played by Byrne Gorman and Charlie Day, return for this movie. And despite the criticisms he heard about predictability, he did not see that plot twist coming. The kaiju designs were fine, but also a bit too similar. He's not sure if he would be able to tell one from the other at a glance. He thinks the first film probably gets the edge here. He would also like to know what happened to Raleigh Beckett. This was apparently answered in a cutscene, and director DeKnight has stated that this is now an intentionally left open-ended for a possible resolution in future films or media tie-ins. Of course, Mike didn't care for what we saw happen to another of the main characters in the first film. But anyway... He was reminded of Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card and the young adult fiction of Robert Heinlein, including Starship Troopers. Also, he notes that the drift compatibility is apparently not as big a deal as it had been before, like maybe virtually anybody can be trained to do it. Some may wonder why there's still a Jaeger program at all if the breach has remained closed for 10 plus years, but the fact of the matter is that it would be stupid to assume that evil forces at work would be just resting on their laurels, never trying to come back to our side again. A better question is, where did that kaiju come from that attacked Amara's family in her flashback? She can only be 15 at most, and that attack surely happened after the breach was closed. As a matter of fact, Mike thinks this might be answered by the Pacific Rim Uprising tie-in comic. The last page of the latest issue features a kaiju looking very similar to the one in the scene. It's just unfortunate that the series couldn't have finished up before the film's premiere, and unfortunate that most filmgoers will not have read the book. Mike also notes that the plan to reach Mount Fuji must surely be a new one, as it does not coincide with the kaiju attacks of the past. Remember, the monsters all came out of a single breach in the middle of the Pacific and headed for mainland coastal cities. If they were all heading for Japan, they had a pretty crap sense of direction. So now that that's out of the way, Mike is wondering if he should check out Asylum's Atlantic Rim films. Yeah, don't answer that. Chris says that Pacific Rim Uprising is a great, fun movie. He was able to see the movie in 2D at an IMAX theater, so the screen was huge and the sound was amazing, and he enjoyed every second of it. The Jaegers, Kaiju, costumes, and set design all looked fantastic. All the colors and graphics used in this movie were incredible. The story was fun, and he doesn't have a single complaint about the film. He might even see it again. If you're a Kaiju fan, you should be satisfied with this movie. So Chris is looking forward to the next Pacific Rim movie. Kevin says that Pacific Rim Uprising promised to up the ante from the original. Sadly, this film was all sizzle and no steak. Definitely missing is the touch of Guillermo del Toro and his unique eye. It's big on action, and the kaiju definitely have a better, sharper look than the first movie, but the rangers and cadets are nothing more than stereotypes. The talent of the cast is lost among the fairly trite tropes as two guys who like the same gal and the tortured son trying to live up to his father's ghost. There's just nothing there that makes Kevin want to see this over and over without just fast-forwarding to the action-y bits. The stinker during the credits was also pretty disappointing. It presupposes that there will be a third movie, which he wouldn't be opposed to. It would give them a chance to fix what they did wrong in this one. But there are no guarantees in Hollywood, as anyone who saw Green Lantern can attest to. Where's that Sinestro sequel? At any rate, the movie has many flaws, but is fun in its own way. And while Kevin won't recommend anyone rush out and see it, he's had worse afternoons. Pete says that after a slow start, Pacific Rim Uprising turned out to be an exciting film that was a lot of fun. Even though most of the film was telegraphed, Pete was happily surprised at the twist. 
The CG got a lot better from the first movie, as the final battle was done under the full sun and not at night, during a rainstorm where flaws can be easily hidden. The Jaeger and Kaiju designs were awesome again, and Pete thinks that the final Mega Kaiju needs to be in his humble collection. His final word is that it's a fun film worth the price of admission. The teaser at the end suggests that the story isn't over, so let's hope that the box office affords us that sequel. P.S. Keep your eyes open for the sweet Gundam Easter egg towards the end. John suspects that if King Kong escapes, a movie that was based on a Saturday morning cartoon that was based on a 1933 movie were made today, it would look a lot like Pacific Rim Uprising. Hang with him, because this is not a perfect analogy, but there are some similarities which make entertaining the comparison both worthwhile. Both Pacific Rim Uprising and King Kong Escapes retread familiar plot points and fail to live up to the promise of their respective predecessors. Both Pacific Rim Uprising and King Kong Escapes are international co-productions. Kong was a partnership between Rankin Bass and Toho Studios. Pacific Rim Uprising was financed primarily by the Chinese company Wanda, a major stakeholder in Legendary Pictures, and the partnership with Universal Studios. Both film employ international casts, including Hollywood stars of questionable star power. Kong employed the declining star power of Rhodes Reason, while Pacific Rim Uprising exploits the solid sci-fi cred of John Boyega and the rising star power of Scott Eastwood. That was a little question mark in um, parentheses. I know you could just hear it in my voice. In both cases, the international name recognition of the actors is probably more valuable than their actual performances. Now, there are those who despise King Kong Escapes for what it is not, for its failure to fulfill the promise of a classic Kong film. Nevertheless, there are legions of fans who love King Kong Escapes, John included, for what it is, and for the magic it created for them when they first saw it. He believes the same holds true for Pacific Rim Uprising. See it in a theater crowded with kids and have a blast. Three out of five ridiculous robot call signs. Mr. Joe had the wonderful opportunity to watch Pacific Rim Uprising twice, one with his Southwest kaiju brother, Michael McCants, and the second with his younger brother, who is beginning to have a passion for kaiju. Mr. Joe will keep it short and sweet since a majority of listeners might have the same opinions. Uprising feels different without Del Toro's involvement and the smaller budget. The characters and world that we are introduced to in Pacific Rim 1 are truly missed, especially Hannibal Chow. However, the piece itself is still a fun, entertaining romp to experience, especially in IMAX. Mr. Joe likes the anime look to the Jaegers. The daytime battles were a nice change of things as it felt like an episode of Ultraman. Mr. Joe enjoyed this new installment for what it was and looks forward anxiously for another Pacific Rim, whether it be from Steven DeKnight or returning back to Del Toro. One year till Godzilla 2, baby! And there you have it, our Daikaiju discussion for Pacific Rim Uprising. Uh, you know, I just like to say in conclusion to all of this, pretty much, that one of the things I like about Pacific Rim is it's sort of like, I know I'm a dumb movie, but bear with me, you know, and if you bear with the movie, you get rewarded with some really great action. This is the kind of movie where like 20 years ago, I probably would have shunned this from Hollywood. I would have been like, ah, oh, that's just a big, dumb popcorn film. But these days, popcorn films... And sci-fi epics, they're the same genre. <laughs> like, they're putting so much movie into all this sci-fi, all this pop culture stuff, that uh, unfortunately, it actually does kind of dilute the whole process. And a good example of that is that I don't get excited for these new movies anymore. 
I think it means I'm turning into a dead nerd inside. But basically, when a new movie gets announced, I'm just like, okay, well, I'm guaranteed to see that movie. So I'll just mentally mark it on the calendar for 2020 when King Kong and Godzilla fight again. And then I just come back to it then as opposed to like riding the hype train from now until three years from now or however long it's going to be before King Kong versus Godzilla comes out. Anyway, I'm still kind of surprised that this film is getting such a negative reaction from some of the fans that I know that really enjoyed the first one. You know, and this whole big, dumb, fun thing, it's just on the surface. There are actually deeper and more meaningful themes that are under there. You just don't get beat over the head like you do in some films with this message that Stephen S. DeKnight had, which is that anybody can be a hero. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you're from. You should be given the opportunity, and you can be given the opportunity to be a hero in a Jaeger. Anyway, I can see how if you aren't in for the ride that Pacific Rim Uprising delivers, this movie is probably going to play as dumb. It's as fun as Kong Skull Island for me, but just not as meh. I had a bigger issue with the characters in Kong Skull Island, and I really did love pretty much all the characters in Pacific Rim Uprising. You know, in conclusion, Pacific Rim Uprising is not the best movie I've ever seen. But God, it is not the worst by a long shot. My best advice is to go in and expect like a good time. Don't be expecting anything that's going to tease your brain. Don't be expecting anything that's going to blow your mind. It's a fun movie, totally worth the admission. But for my two cents, I thought Pacific Rim Uprising was a ton of fun. I look forward to seeing it again and probably several more times after that. If you enjoyed Pacific Rim Uprising, you might be interested in some of the suggested viewing that I'll have listed in the show notes. In addition to a link in the show notes to that Nerdist video that I played the audio from, uh, there's also a really hilarious, especially if you like dogs, video called Pacific Rim Pup Rising, where the stars of Pacific Rim get to sort of play with dogs in a Pacific Rim setting. And it's like, um, be prepared to, to you know, squee if you love animals. There are some cool deleted scenes that were added by MTV, and those are available on YouTube, to which there will be a link in the show notes. Of course, I'll have some more links to some videos, the Tokyo Comic-Con reel, which shows some cool details about the movie, the audio I played earlier, which is called A Look Inside Pacific Rim Uprising, a new beginning featurette. Um, there was actually a news story saying, John Boyega disses Godzilla. And of course, that's, you know, literally designed to make Godzilla fans go, what? Screw that guy. I'm going to get up in arms and click on this article. Yes, that's why they call it clickbait. Anyway, Boyega didn't really diss Godzilla. He just said he didn't like Godzilla that much. Who cares? That's going to do it for the shared news. I want to give a huge shout out to Dawn Taylor, who's probably not listening, but she's awesome. And if she happens to hear this, she knows why she's awesome. All right, next month, we are diving back into our list of retread movies. So we're going to be looking at a film that we've already covered here on the Daikaiju Discussion, but it was a long time ago, and that movie is Gamera 2, Advent of Legion. One of my absolute top favorite kaiju movies of all time. I really love just about everything about it. So it's going to be interesting for me to come up with my negatives on Gamera 2, Advent of Legion. If you would like to submit your thoughts, questions, and reviews 
for Gamera 2 Advent of Legion, please make sure to turn your homework in by Wednesday, April 25th, to have your homework included in the discussion episode. We are going to go ahead and close out this show with one final song. And because I really did miss not just Guillermo del Toro in Pacific Rim Uprising, but I missed Ramin Djawadi's score. So we're going to do the next best thing. We're going to play the remix from Pacific Rim Uprising of Ramin Djawadi's theme. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Kaiju Cast through your favorite podcatcher or RSS feeder. I'm not sure what the terminology is there. Don't forget to check us out on all of our social media platforms. We have Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. I mean, not all of them, but we're on a lot of them. And hey, don't forget to go to kaijucast.com for those handy-dandy show notes that I was talking about, not to mention a lot of cool, cool content. We will see you next month for some really cool stuff. We'll be talking with artist and director Keita Amemia. We'll be going over some news and Monster Palooza is coming! Jamata.